Chiropractic, Episode 27, After School with Dr. Gordon Ainsley. Going through the last canyon, I got this crazy idea that I'm not going to let any horses pass me. And I didn't. And they're faster than people on the uphill. And I, I just, I came, I came storming out of that canyon fast enough that no horse caught me. I'd hear him clopping behind me and I'd speed up. Welcome back to Exploring Chiropractic. I'm your host, Nathan Cashin, and this is the only student chiropractic podcast. I'm so excited to bring to you a series of episodes that is from the most incredible interview that I have done. And it's so good that I've avoided editing it for almost a year now. So if you've listened to my podcast, you've heard that I like to run. For a while, I was running really long distances. I completed my first ultra marathon in 2014 at the Mount Hood 50 here in Portland. And in case you don't know, an ultra marathon is anything longer than 26.2 miles or the 42 kilometers of a marathon. Other chiropractic podcasters have also run ultra marathons, including Dr. Ed Osborne of the Chiropractic Philanthropist, Dr. Suki Muker of Two Docs Talking. But what you might not know is that the original trail ultra runner is also a chiropractor. Now, when you think of chiropractic legends, you might think of BJ Palmer or Reggie Gold. When I think of legends, I think of Dr. Gordon Ainsley, and he may not be that well-known in the chiropractic world, but he is a household name in the ultra-running community. And that's because he is the original runner of the 100-mile trail race. Now, the Western States 100-mile endurance run is the world's oldest 100-mile race. It starts in Squaw Valley, California, and it ends 100.2 miles later. It follows the historic Western States Trail, and runners climb more than 18,000 feet and then descend nearly 23,000 feet before they reach the finish line at Placer High School in Gordy's hometown of Auburn, California. It's held on the last weekend of June each year, and if you're listening to this when this podcast episode comes out, that's this weekend. That's June 25th, 2016. Now, I got to volunteer at the race for the past two years, and I witnessed this spectacle of endurance, and last year, I was lucky enough to meet up with Gordy a couple of days after the race. In the next few episodes, you will hear that extended interview with Dr. Gordon Ainsley, He was so generous with his time that we sat down for three hours, and it's been a challenge to try to cut that up into some uh, semblance of, of information that would be interesting to chiropractors and chiropractic students. Um, so this first episode is going to cover how it all started. Uh, Gordy's going to tell the story of how he was the first person to run what originally was a 100-mile horse race. And he tells how the horses actually held him back. He's going to go into his nutrition plan and explain why caffeine is actually a recipe for disaster in ultra runs. And then in the next couple episodes coming out, he's going to talk a little bit more about himself, where he grew up, his early life, and then his experience in chiropractic school at the other Western states, the Western States uh, Chiropractic College in Portland, Oregon. So I hope you enjoy this fascinating interview with a paradox of a man, uh, one who 
uh, shuns convention and yet holds dearly to the scientific method, uh, but tries things that are way outside of the norms and in so many ways was way ahead of his time. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did interviewing this man, Dr. Gordon Ainsley. Well, it's been an uh, amazing weekend for me to be able to come and experience the full Western states. Um, I'd just been at an aid station before and to see how important it is for people and to see you interact with the runners who finished and want to get a, a photo taken with you. And you're very generous with your time. I'm, I'm very impressed with that. Um, I think most chiropractors and most students don't have any clue what, what this is. How did Western States start? It's quite a story, actually. Um, I guess you could say it started when I missed the bus <laughs> going to school. And I knew the bus took a long way around. It went about five miles to get to where the school was, which was about three quarters of a mile or so from my house. And my mom was coming home from work, and I'd already asked her to take me to school, you know, and she was really tired, and I just couldn't do it another time. So in a panic, rather than admit to her that I'd missed the bus again, I took off running to school, and I came in a little late. Uh, and the teacher knew where I lived, and, and she said, she asked me, why are you late? And I said, I missed the bus, and I ran to school. And she was so impressed by that that she never punished me. <laughs> so that was the beginning of my running career. <laughs> and then I got a paper out that was, uh, you know, it ended up two miles from home. And so I I got tired of walking, so I'd run. And um, and then I had a, a, a junior high PE uh, teacher who punish people by running if they if they didn't do enough push-ups and I hate push-ups but I don't mind running so when I got tired of doing push-ups I just start flaking off and and then he you know assigned me to run a lap and all these other people would go oh my god oh my god I better I better push harder and I made sure to, to wear a, a, a real pained expression whenever my face was facing him but I was having a good time <laughs> And then, you know, I got, I got a, we moved out to, to, uh, you know, the rural area, 10 miles from here. I went to Colfax High School and I liked, me and Jerry Finch used to go out, you know, we had to run a lap before each PE class and uh, he and I would race. And I would, you know, it was generally who, I would usually beat him, but he'd beat me occasionally. And I didn't know it, but the, the, the teacher, the, the gym teacher, was the head track coach. And so he recruited me to run the mile to pick up some extra points. I mean, he had his, his, you know, his elite miler, but, you know, he wanted somebody to pick up some extra points for, so the team could win matches. And, you know, and eventually, you know, he had plans for me as a senior that I'd become his lead runner, which I did. Then I got to... You know, got to Sierra College, and they had cross country. And after running trails, I I never could run in circles ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so I never went out for track ever after that. And uh, you know, then I I went down to UC Santa Barbara, and I wasn't fast enough for their track their their cross country team. 
But I bought a horse while I was down there. I always wanted a horse. And I started riding on the beach. And then in Santa Barbara, I found a Tevis Cup brochure tucked tacked up on the bulletin board one day and I read, oh this sounds real interesting I think I'd like to do this I wonder where this is and I turn to the back page and I go, oh my god, Auburn, California (laughs) I had been living you know for a whole bunch of years within 10 miles of the finish line and you know, I was I didn't care, you know, I didn't read the paper (laughs) I didn't know about it and so anyway, I sent an application, and I, I rode the ride. It turned out my, the horse I accidentally bought was a really good endurance horse, very durable. And we finished the first two in 71 and 72 just fine. However, in 72, I picked up, I picked up with a, a, a cute little hippie chick from Orange County who was in the area preparing to go with her brother, her brother's wife, and her and her ex-boyfriend on a tour of Europe. And we fell in with each other, and and, uh, she never went to Europe. I I still remember her talking about how much she enjoyed cocaine, and I always thought that was kind of interesting. It was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. And it never registered that, you know, she was, that maybe I was going to have to buy her cocaine if I was going to keep her. It never occurred to me. It's, it's never occurred to me to think that drugs were worth spending money on. <laughs> That's not something I, I just don't think that. So, um, she, she wanted to get married and have kids and, and I thought we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. So when she wanted to, uh, she wanted me to give her my horse and I thought, well, that's just kind of like a gesture, you know. So I gave her my horse and figured, you know, I can borrow it anytime I want. Well, she left me for a short, fat, bald-headed married man to live in his in a shed in his horse stables to have sex with him on cocaine. He had the best drugs in the endurance ride circuit. <laughs> and she took my horse. <laughs> so I had to get another horse. Now, obviously, I should have known by that time that I was a poor judge of character, but I obviously didn't. And so the person who I'd chosen in that winter after she left to be my best friend was a guy who was a salesman. He would sell anything. I think he would have sold his grandmother for the right price. I didn't know that at the time. He was my best friend, and so I bought his horse. He was trading up to a better one, he said, a faster one. And he sold her to me with the words, one thing you never have to worry about is this horse going lame. It's never even offered to take a lame step. I found out that actually the horse had been pulled out of a ride the previous year and he'd been told it had a permanent lameness problem. <laughs> so there I was in 73 and my horse went lame, of course. Well, I was coming up Roby Point. It actually went lame on the, my last training ride before the race, one week before the race. And I was coming up Roby Point absolutely dejected because the most important event of the year was that race and I had a lame horse and so and Roby's at the very end of the race it's the the hill up into town yeah and along that along that road lived Wendell Roby and Ducilla Barner Wendell was the guy who had started the 100 mile ride started the sport of endurance riding and was the godfather and Drusilla Barner was his 
secretary in everything. He totally trusted her judgment. Whatever she said, Wendell always agreed with. You know, they, they were just like always in agreement on everything. And she was out in her front yard watering some plants and gave me a cheery, well, hello, Gordy, how's it going? And I started pouring out this long, sad story. And she said, wait a minute, don't go away. And so she came out with a bottle of very nice white wine and two glasses, poured me a glass and said, sit down, now tell me all about it. <laughs> and so I poured out my long, sad story. And when it was all over, she said, well, if your horse goes lame next, next week, it's not the end of the world. And I go, yeah, really, sure. And she says, well, no, I mean it. Because Wendell and I have been talking about how you spend more time with your feet on the ground than on, on the horse. Well, that was true because there's more up and down on that trail than there is flat. So even during the rides, you would jump off? Yeah, you- yeah, because I, I weighed, you know, 205 pounds, and that's a hell of a burden to put on a horse. And if you trot a horse downhill with that much weight on them, they tend to go lame on the front legs. And, and of course, if you ride, if I put that much burden on top of the horse riding up a hill, it's going to get exhausted. So what I would do is I would, I would pile off on the downhills and lead the horse into the canyon. And then I'd grab its tail and let it pull me up. <laughs> and that's called tailing. So yeah, I did spend more than half on, half of the time on the ground and, or about half. And so Drusilla said, well, we're wondering when you're just going to leave the horse behind and do the whole thing on foot. Well, actually, I'd already thought of that. The first year, I, I started long-distance running to prepare myself for the ride-and-tie race, which is running and riding, using two, a team of two people using one horse. I had contemplated, I immediately started thinking, I wonder if I could do that, if I could run that. Because, you know, I, I'm a runner. I've done a lot of running. And... You know, through all through school and, you know, and other other times, too. Like on the beach at Santa Barbara, you know, the, the horse I bought had a real rough trot, and I just, I never bought a saddle. So when he got tired of running, I'd just get off and run until he was rested, and I was tired, and then I'd hop on, and he'd take off at a, you know, a, a dead run again. You were doing these 100-mile rides bareback? Well, I did the first one bareback, and it was, uh, I probably spent... The, 65 or 70 miles on the ground with minimal training. It, I, both my horse and I, I didn't know how to train my horse or me, and, and both of us, it was 10 days before we could walk without limping. <laughs> we shared the pain equally. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mark of a good relationship, sharing the pain equally. Well, knowing you, I'm surprised you didn't throw the horse on your back for a while. Yeah, well, it was a pretty big horse. So anyway, what happened was, you know, I, I was I was stuck with no horse, and, and Drusilla had had given me the the uh, the invite, official invite to do it in '74. Now, my volunteer running coach at that time was a guy who, a teacher who'd come to Colfax High School after I left, named Pete Hansen, and at the time he was either the fourth or fifth fastest runner in the nation in the 50-mile run. Realized there weren't a lot of people running the 50-mile run, but, I mean, he would he would usually take third, you know, or something like that. I took him out on 35 typical miles of the course, and when we were done, I said, so, Pete, what do you think? 
this is my first year running, right? I've been running for about two months. <laughs> I mean, the long distance stuff, not, you know, not three mile cross country, but, you know, mm -hmm. going out and running, you know, seven, 10, 14 miles, stuff like that in races. He said, well, he looked at me like I'd lost my mind first. And then he said, well, not only do I think you can't, but I don't think anybody can. Well, that actually made it more attractive. It, it, it sort of started an obsession in my mind. So I had thought of it. And so when Drusilla said that, I said, maybe. Now, a couple, I guess it was probably two months or three, let's see, May, June, July. It was probably two and a half months prior to that conversation we had on a lark, I'd gone down with my ride and tie partner who was taking his horse, which we used, through the Castle Rock 50-mile ride as a training ride for the ride and tie. And I had, on a lark, gone along with them, him and his wife, and we were, I, I just said, I'm gonna see if I can run it. Well, I'd run a marathon, obviously on fairly flat terrain, but I'd done really well, I'd run under three hours. so. I wanted to see if I could run 50 miles. And I ended up running it, well, it was in Big Basin Redwood State Park. It was cool, it was comfortable, wonderful conditions. And I got in in about nine hours. What I heard from my Ryan Tai partner who had married, he, he was friends with Wendell and Drusilla because he had married Wendell's granddaughter. And so he passed on to me that when they heard about that, when Drusilla's comment was, well, if he can run the Castle Rock ride in nine hours, he ought to be able to do ours in 18. <laughs> and my comment to my partner was, well, you know, it doesn't work that way. There's a certain slowing down that takes part. But nevertheless, pretty much everybody was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. They were thinking about it. I had the invitation. So I said, maybe, you know, thinking, oh, I'll just get another horse. Well, I, I'm a terrible procrastinator. And by the next, the next year, I did not have another horse. And it just goes to show you that sometimes vices can be virtues because, you know, out of the fact that I'm a procrastinator, I didn't have another horse. I had to run it or, or sit by the, the wayside and watch it all go by. And so I trained the, I trained the way I trained my horse, which was... I would ride my horse from Michigan Bluff to Auburn once a week. Well, I found out I couldn't recover in a week. It took me a week and a half. So in, in, the, um, in the final two months from the end of the ride and tie until the Tevis Cup went off, happened, I ran from Michigan Bluff to Auburn four times every week and a half. And that's a 45-mile at that time, it was 40 miles. It wasn't quite as far. And that proved to be enough. I, I kind of, uh, I kind of uh, fell apart in the middle of the day because of the heat. It, there have been, been two races, race days, when the, the temperature was really high. The, the year that I ran was 107. And then three years later, when Andy Gonzalez was the only finisher... That was our first organized race. He was the only guy who get in under, under 24 hours. He had 108. Mm. 
And that's because the ride goes off at the end of July or early August. What happened was after, after 1980, uh, 1977, we switched the, the run into June. And... After that, we've never had a day hotter than 102. And, I mean, that sounds like a, a real cooker of a day, but you cannot compare a 102-degree day to a 107-degree day. I mean, it is just, it's it's in a different league. The first year you ran it, it was 107. 107, yeah. And this was before we had things like insulated handheld water bottles and the anti- Water bottles. <laughs> we didn't have water bottles. What did you do? I... Well, I had an enduro motorcycle. That's a street-legal dirt bike. And, of course, I knew the trail quite well. So I rode the bike to every place that there was a road crossing. And then in the central section between Lost Chan- Last Chance and Michigan Bluff, where you're out in the wilderness, and there really are no road crossings, um, I, I rode my bike through there. And that's considered... That's considered a bragging rights ride for a motorcycle. There, there are motorcycles that have been left in that canyon by people who couldn't get them out of the canyon. And I put a backpack on and I put, a, to, put 10 bottles of Gatorade in it. And I thought that'd be enough. I mean, you know, my experience was marathoning. I thought that'd be enough. And, you know, and I'd run my 50 mile in, in, you know, Big Basin Redwood State Park on the beach, you know, on the coast. I just didn't understand how bad it was going to be. And, and so, but I stashed those bottles of Gatorade every, you know, three to, three to six miles, three to seven miles. Actually, one, one is eight miles, uh, Red Star Ridge. Today, all the aid stations except one are where I stashed bottles of Gatorade. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And what I... I basically would not have made it except for a friend of mine, a horse riding friend of mine, at the last, as I was getting ready to leave, he handed me two half-gallon dry-mix bottles of Erg, which was just, it was so much better than Gatorade because it had been developed by a running chemist who analyzed his own sweat. And it, it gave you back everything you lost in sweat. And things like you lose vitamin C in sweat Gatorade doesn't know that you know and he had he had all those things you lose in sweat plus it was glucose I mean it just went straight to the muscle and so between that and you know and then you know there was there was actually there were actually two horses that died from that race in, in the in the first canyon the North Middle Fork Canyon um I personally stopped that because the next year I said to Wendell, how about putting me at last chance and I'll disqualify any horse that looks like it might not make it through the canyon. And so he gave me ride officer status. And when the vets heard about it, not wanting to give me any power that they don't have, you know, they're very jealous of their, their power, they put a vet check there. Hmm. And since that vet check went in, no horses died of exhaustion. I mean, they still jump off of cliffside trails, but that's horses. <laughs> and they, they, uh, I don't think they've killed a human yet from jumping off cliffside trails, but there have been horses that died from jumping off cliffside trails. Mm. Just, you know, they go nuts. Mm. Uh, horses do that, you know. 
the most dangerous form of transportation mile for mile oh yeah there yeah we we had a lady um, her horse spooked and she wasn't wearing a helmet just in a park a few miles 10 miles from here five eight miles and she died mm. yeah hit her hit her head and it killed her so yeah so anyway i i did i did that you know 40 mile run and and it was it was enough you know uh basically i was going to quit after i saw the horse dying in the river i went down and helped pull it into the shallows it had gone the guy had walked in the river to revive it and then instead it had fainted and I, I was, I could tell the horse was going to die, and so I, uh, I helped pull it into the shallows, and my 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 legs were going into spasms, and and I at that point I was scared. It hadn't occurred to me I might die doing this, <laughs> but I did. It did occur to me at that point because I I was perfectly clear that that horse was dying. Because dying on these is is everybody's fear, and no one thinks that a hundred miles is possible, even well, today if they haven't heard of it. I didn't think. It never occurred to me that I might die doing that. In fact, there was one uh, moment of truth up on top of, out by dusty corners of 40 miles, which is now a nice forest, but back in those days, it was a fresh burn. There was no shade. The soil was black. It was so hot, I couldn't, fun- I couldn't even focus on the surface of the road. It was just amazing. And at that point, I decided that um, I, I, I could not possibly finish. And I, I decided I couldn't even get to Michigan Bluff across two canyons. And then I said, well, what can I do? And I decided that what I could do is I could keep putting one foot in front of the other. And so I decided to put one foot in front of the other until I could no longer put one foot in front of the other. We would call that suicidal today. But that was, you know, I had a young, strong body. And my, my urine got so concentrated that it was terribly painful every time I urinated. It was just hugely concentrated uh but my kidneys never quit other people's Mm -hmm. kidneys have quit you know and they've ended up in the hospital on dialysis until their kidneys healed which they do which is nice they would have died but for you know modern modern dialysis technology so i got into devil's thumb which is 48 miles and i i was intending to quit but my uh, my my friend and adopted sister Diane Marquard was there and she said don't quit just now she comes up oh Gordy how are you and I said I'm quitting <laughs> she said well don't quit just now come over under this tree and talk to me and Paige for a while and where was this again Devil's Thumb 48 miles and it's a very it's a very cool place very good tree cover and so she she correctly diagnosed that what was wrong with me was I I just sweated out my salt. And so she fed me salt tablets. And I'll tell you, when you've lost your salt and and you get salt, the results are miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. It's like suddenly you feel okay. And so, you know, a half hour later, she massaged my legs and talked to me and reassured me and made me feel loved and cared for. And, you know, and of course, my salt came up. And, you know, half hour later, I just... There was no reason in the world not to head on, head on down the trail. <laughs> and so I headed on down the trail. <laughs> and that was the last time I thought of quitting. You know, after that, I just said, I'm going to make it, you know. And I uh, <laughs> I made it. I, I didn't realize I had started 10 minutes ahead of the horses because I didn't want to get caught in the, in the, the bunch of them. 
I wanted to be spread out, didn't want to get run down. So I started 10 minutes ahead of the horses, and I'd forgotten that was really different from what I usually experienced, which they'd start the horses in groups of 10 every two minutes. And so I would usually get, you know, I'd be back about group 15 or something because there were like 25 groups or something like that, the 250 horses. And, you know, I'd, I'd usually be back there a ways. And so I, I would have additional time to get there in 24 hours past 5 o'clock. But I forgot to calculate that. And luckily, going through the last canyon, I got this crazy idea that I'm not going to let any horses pass me. And I didn't. And they're faster than people on the uphill. And I, I just, I came, I came storming out of that canyon fast enough that no horse caught me. I'd hear them clopping behind me and I'd speed up. And it was a good thing because I only finished with, uh, I did a, a 23.42. I, I only had 18 minutes to spare for the 24 hours. So it was, it was pretty. Anyway, that's, that's basically what happened that first year. And, you know, I, I was planning to run again the next year and thinking, well, now I'll see how fast I can do it. Now that I know I can do it. And I overtrained. And I, I, I came down with, uh, I didn't realize what it was, but I, I, I was weak. And later I realized what it was was uh, a, a reoccurrence of chronic fatigue, which I now have to deal with. So that, that was the first year. That was 1974, mm-hmm. and you ran 100 miles in under 24 hours mm-hmm. and beat horses. Yeah, and, you know, I didn't appreciate how much more difficult it is to, do with, to go with the horses until the 50th anniversary of the ride. They invited a, about uh, a dozen of us runners to, just for nostalgia's sake, run with them. And, of course, I was a lot older. I wasn't nearly the athlete I was in 74. But uh, th- that was in 19... Oh, excuse me. That was in 2004 that happened. And so it was, uh, what, 30 years after, you know... So I'd gone from being 27 to being 57. <laughs> I wasn't nearly as fast. But I, what 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 I found was really difficult... And I hadn't realized it when I, when I was doing it in 74. But I had to either run a lot faster, because the horses on level ground and uphill, they're faster than we are. And on, on downhills, they're much slower, because they have to walk them on the downhills to not go lame, if they're, if they're steep downhills. So I didn't realize how much they disturbed my pace, my ability to run at my most efficient pace. And... I, f- I actually fell behind the pace and was una- unable to finish. Hmm. And in fact, the, in spite of the fact that I'd started two hours ahead of the 5 a.m. start, I'd started at three, and, you know, because I knew it would take me more time. Um, but even with that, I fell so far behind the pace just from having to wait for the horses on the single track trail, you know, while they just standing there while they go blazing by. Or else blowing blowing my constitution by trying to run at their pace, you know. And I guess when I was when I was twenty seven, I could run at their pace for a while, but at fifty seven, I couldn't. So it was, you know, I realized that what I did in seventy four was a lot harder than what I did in seventy eight when we finally had our first we had our first running event separate from the horses, and. I just I just breezed through that, 
In fact, I breezed through every one of them until after I turned 40 and, you know, started getting a little older. Uh, things slowed down. <laughs> and this was the 42nd year of Western States, and you started again. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I was uh, I was not doing well. I've, I've had, I guess it was uh, 2011 was another one another day when I started sick. I just uh I have a problem with chronic fatigue and of course if it's going to get me it's going to get me when I'm all stressed out about the upcoming western states. Uh so it it got me in 2011 and it got me again this year and in addition I had a, a really bad head cold. So, you know, chronic fatigue I usually don't feel it coming on and there's not obvious symptoms. You know, until the glands start swelling, and you know the the first symptom is usually gingivitis interestingly enough, because it's chronic Epstein Barr. It's it's mononucleosis basically, and so I I had a I had a gum that was really bothering me when I brushed my teeth, and that should have alerted me that I needed to take you know bowel tolerance vitamin C, which is really about the only cure, and that'll that'll take it down in about four days. But yeah, you know, you have to take like thirty thousand milligrams. <laughs> I mean, it's just huge. You have to take it until you get until you're just blowing it out, and and you have to keep it that way for a while. But that's that that is the cure for for chronic fatigue, and if it's Epstein Barr, and it's a cure for mono too. But um, yeah, so that was, that was my situation this year. I had the, I had a head cold that was so bad on Thursday. I was weak just walking around the house, and. Uh, you know, I was doing all the herbs and the vitamin C, you know, a little late on the vitamin C and couldn't find my zinc lozenges. Finally found them, you know, Friday. And, you know, it was kind of like I was hoping it was blowing over, but it wasn't. You know, the 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 best uh, simile I could give you is like it's like trying to drive fast when you've got a potato stuck under your gas pedal. <laughs> you know, it's like I just had I just had to. To do um, to do stuff that was very low low energy requirement running, you know, I, I actually had I actually had a, I could run okay, and you know the the other thing was I, I really like uh, the Hammer Nutrition products because they put the amino acids in and they don't add caffeine, you know. If you take caffeine early in the race, caffeine, no matter how long, how much you take over the period of hours, it'll it'll drop you on your face in 12 hours. Mm -hmm. you, and how much more you take doesn't matter. It's going to drop you on your face. So basically, in a 100-mile run, you can't take caffeine until you get within 12 hours of the finish, which for me, at my pace, that, that means Forest Hill. Well, the the problem with these gels is that all these gel makers don't understand. Well, goo doesn't understand this, and so most of their gels have have caffeine in, and and it's a it's a prescription for disaster. Hammer doesn't do that. They do, and and the they do something else, and that is something I learned in a continuing education class online from Western States Chiropractic College in Sports Nutrition. The teacher up there, who likes to joke with his class a lot, I thought that was kind of interesting, but. He, he pointed out that there's research showing that you have to have 6% protein with your carbohydrates if you're going to keep your blood sugar up. And Hammer takes it one step farther. They know that sometimes digestion shuts down or doesn't work very well once you get 
out there a few miles. So they give you the amino, they give you the 6% in amino acids mm-hmm. and exactly the ones you need. There's four of them. So, you know, they've, they've got that figured out. That's, that's why boiled potatoes are so popular with the long distance guys. The, the guys who are doing, you know, more than 50 miles is yeah. because they've got the right amount of protein. And, you know, boiled potatoes are my favorite running food. And I saw you coming into Duncan Canyon at 23.8 miles, and you're looking good, but pushing the cutoff. And we pushed you pushed you right through. Yeah, well, I, I was there about, uh, I suppose, two and a half minutes, and uh, maybe three minutes. And I left with less than a minute to go. Be, I mean, I was, I was just like 30 seconds out of the station when I heard the horn blow. Yeah. And uh, what what Paula had done, you know, she handed me. Of course, you wouldn't know what this was, but you you may have noticed I was very very focused on getting this dark purple drink poured into the the bottle I was going to take with me. Well, you know, I got taught nutrition really well up at Western States, <laughs> and I followed it. I've continued to follow it, and so. What that drink has in it is it's it's concentrated uh, concentrated Welch's grape juice, the stuff you buy frozen. So it's four times, mm-hmm. you know, it makes up four times the volume, you know. And I actually dilute it a little bit beyond that. I usually dilute it to about six or eight when I'm drinking it. And it has a... Uh, a heart supplement that DC Lab sells to us chiropractors called Cayenne Plus, which is an amazing supplement. I mean, that'll that'll bring back, that'll give somebody a few more, you know, some extra time who's got who's going under with uh, congestive heart failure. It strengthens the heart dramatically. If I if I take more than three pills at a time, I'll get inappropriately strong heartbeats. And so that goes in there. It's got it's got cayenne, which dilates coronary arteries. It has um, hawthorn berries, which strengthen the heart muscle, and it has ginger, which is a general tonic for the body. It you know kind of makes everything more alert. And then in addition to that, I throw in vitamin C because there's a, an old old research project where they they swam mice or rats I forget which until they drowned with laboratory chow and of course rats make their own vitamin C but they can't gear up quickly to do it so they swim until they drown they, they didn't let them die they revive them but they had to they basically went through waterboarding <laughs> they were, I'm sure they were traumatized for the rest of their lives but then they did something. They gave them a, a supplement that was comparable to 500 milligrams of vitamin C, and then another one that was comparable to you know thousands of milligrams of vitamin C. The uh, the laboratory chow rats went under at two and a half hours. The uh, the the fairly high dose vitamin C rats went under at five hours, and the experiment was discontinued at 12 hours because more than half of the rats that got the megadose were still swimming. So I put in vitamin C, enough to where I sometimes get excess gas. Mm. 
You know, I'm, I'm running on bowel tolerance approximately if I'm healthy, you know, and of course, if I'm not healthy, then of course the need for vitamin C goes up and, you know, I, I won't be at bowel tolerance, but I put in the vitamin C and then I also put in taurine. Now, people don't, taurine doesn't get much press because it's cheap and even in alternative medicine and nutritional medicine, we have this ethic that people like to sell you stuff that's expensive. So they'll tell you CoQ10 is the answer for strengthening the heart. But actually, taurine has much better research on heart strengthening, and it's dirt cheap, which is why you don't hear about it. And you can get it in Red Bull, right? I no. think that's... Oh, isn't yeah, that... Red Bull does have taurine in yeah. it. And, and all of those others do have taurine, but they also have so much caffeine that it might kill you. Right. You have to remember that. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, caffeine. Caffeine is a, a, a it's a hazardous drug. It's it's not nearly. Uh, it's we aren't told how hazardous it is. Veterinarians will tell you, don't let your dog eat chocolate. Yeah. And the reason is because uh, a certain number of people and dogs develop arrhythmias as a result of chocolate coffee. Um, I don't, I've never had that happen with tea, but I was presumed that tea does it too. I think not as much. But, yeah, caffeine causes, it, it, in, a, in a person who's susceptible, it would cause, cause cardiac arrhythmias, which can be fatal. And so I would never, I would never, never advise anybody to do Red Bull. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, until maybe the last half of the race. <laughs> but... I, I do I just do coke and I do taurine and uh, anyway but that's only in the last half of the race yeah well actually not even the last half from Forest Hill the last 40 miles but that's my mix and uh, hmm. and like like caffeine I find that it it'll only work for about 12 hours and so I told my wife to meet me at Duncan Canyon with that because I figured okay I've got 23 miles in in the bank so to speak I'll get 50 miles off of that that'll get me to basically 75 and then I'll try to gut it out from there mm -hmm. that was the plan unfortunately um, I I just came to the bottom of the hill into into Robinson, asked what time it was, and said, you know, I can't make it up the hill that fast. I might as well just walk. Uh, and so I, you know, I got into Robinson late. Uh, I don't like not finishing. I, I, I was, if I'm, if I'm going to not finish, I'd at least like to do the 100K into Forest Hill. But my goal was to get through Forest Hill. Uh, and, and I think, I think, you know, this year I did everything right. I didn't do anything really stupid, like go out three days before the race and and run at the, uh, you know, anaerobic threshold, which I've done before. You know, I, I go out running and I kind of lose my logic. You know, and it feels good, so I do it. You know, and I've yeah. I couldn't even tell you how many races I've come into with sore quads because I decided to run at anaerobic threshold three days before the race. Just because it felt good. Have you started every race since 74? No, I didn't. Um, in, in 75, I, I overtrained. I, I was running from Michigan Bluff to last chance every other day, and I found out you can't do that. I can't do that anyway. 
And then in 76, I was having knee problems. I didn't run. Um, in, in 77, I was the race director of the first race. Oh. So I didn't run because I you know, felt I should be out there taking care of everybody. In 78, by that time, we had a board of directors and you know, a whole bunch of people to handle the race. So I ran again. That was my second run. That was easy. I, I did that in, I don't know, 2230 or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then in 79, I was, uh, I was training with the lady who'd won the, uh, the only woman finisher and won the women's division in, 70, uh, in 78. And we spent more time hanging out at the river and fooling around than we did training so i i just said you know i don't have the miles to do this which possibly wasn't i i think i could have done it i i I think i underestimated my my raw talent and i think that i probably could have done it you know i was thinking that oh you know i want to do it under 24 but i probably couldn't have done that but i probably could have done it in 26 you know just on on just the talent you know and some some running and so that was 79 blew off 1980 I was worried about flunking out at chiropractic college and I was too stressed out and every time I'd start training I'd get sick and so I didn't do 1980 and by 1981 I realized I wasn't going to flunk out so I, I trained a reasonable amount and I, I did it in 1981 and 82 and 83 I was coming up for board exams at the state level which back then California flunked out well the the passing rate was 42 to 46 percent. Oh yeah, yeah, they flunked out a lot of people, and so I was too stressed out about that. And again, I, was, I got sick every time I tried to train, so I didn't do that. And then in '84, '85, and '86, I finished again. '87, I was um, I, again I overtrained because I was trying to prove I was still every bit. I was turning 40, wanted to prove I was still every bit the man I was, and and. What I didn't realize was I was also in a, 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 perform, a local performance of The Odd Couple, and I was the guy who was the cigar smoker, and I, I didn't realize that nicotine was immune system suppressant. So I got sick again. Mm. And in fact, I came down with chronic fatigue so bad that I wasn't able to run for 87, 88, 89, and 90. Four years I had to take out. And then I made friends with Zane Kime, the alternative medicine doctor, and in Auburn, and he put me on uh, thyroid, which brought me out of that. And uh, and then I, I ran in 71. For the first time, came up with an injury, the only time I've ever pulled out with an injury. And uh, it was, uh, I'd, I'd torn the extensor retinaculum of the front of the ankle. Hmm. And what that does is, the, the retinaculum is there to keep the muscle always pulling in the same direction. It's not designed to pull in different directions. And it keeps the tendon from coming away from the ankle and pulling on the muscle in a way that it's not designed to pull. And so what was happening was it it was somewhat looser. And so the muscle, the tibialis anterior and all the you know, extensor uh, digitorums and all that, they were tearing. And it was hurting all the way up the anterior compartment because the muscles were tearing because they weren't pulling from the right direction. So anyway, I missed that one. I quit running for, I don't know, six months or so. 
eight months, a long time, mm-hmm. and it healed. And so in, in 92, I didn't think it was healed, and I didn't apply for the race because I thought I wasn't going to run again. Turns out it did heal. So that year, I, I, I realized in the summer that it was healed. I, I tried to get in. Uh, Norm Klein wouldn't let me which I thought was crazy because he let his wife in the night before, you know, but he was pissed off at me because I'd, I'd gotten the board of directors to reverse a decision, a really bad decision he made. I won't go into that, but um, anyway, so he, that was his, his uh, revenge. And so I didn't, I ran Vermont then and had a wonderful Mm. time, ran it in uh, 22 hours or something like that. And uh, Vermont's a wonderful race, by the way. It's just an incredible experience. And it's about uh, three quarters. It's got 14,000 feet of climb instead of 18,000. And the other thing that's really nice about Vermont that's really different from Western states is that when you, when you just take yourself to the limit to get up this awful hill, Vermont lets you enjoy it. Because the downhills are gradual. Mm. There's no brutal downhills, for the most part. Most of the downhills are gradual. So the energy you put into earning the uphill, you get to enjoy on the downhill. And Western states, the downhills are so steep that you have to struggle on the downhills too. Yeah. And it makes it just a lot harder. It's, uh, it's, it's probably, for someone in the 24-hour bracket, it's probably two hours harder than Vermont. And for someone in the 30 hours, probably three hours harder than Vermont. Mm. Yeah, Western States is a really hard run. It is. I'm, I'm, I can't imagine running it right now. Well, that wraps it up for this first episode in my series of interviews with Dr. Gordon Ainsley. In part two, you're going to hear a little bit more about the man himself, his early years, uh, what influenced him to become a chiropractor, including someone in the area known as the goat doctor his connection with the inventor of ezekiel bread and a few of his interesting theories on cancer parkinson's and the sun one of the blessings i got at at western states was i had a nutrition teacher who in order to pass his class you had to write a literature review that could be published in a medical journal. And he said, no, you don't understand. (laughs) That's not science. So please stay tuned and thanks, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends on Facebook. Send it to a trail runner that you might know. And if you could, head over to iTunes and leave a review. It really helps to spread the word about the podcast. Thanks again for listening. Continue to enjoy the journey.